Welcome to the Run Against Violence podcast for 2022, where together we'll listen, learn and talk about how we can all take steps to create respectful relationships in order to prevent family violence in our communities. Hello, I'm Jen Brown and I'm the host of the Run Against Violence podcast for 2022. This podcast covers the Run Against Violence, or as we affectionately like to call it, RAV, Virtual Team Challenge, when teams of walkers and runners will virtually chase each other from Broken Hill to Sydney, covering a distance of 1,300 kilometres over 19 days. I would like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and travel through. Our route from Broken Hill to Sydney crosses from the lands of the Wiradjuri Nation in the west of New South Wales to the Eora Nation in the east, and I am recording this today on Darug and Gundungurra country. I would pay my respects to Elders past and present, and I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are listening today. So welcome back to the podcast. This is episode seven of our 2022 season. Now, about today's episode, it is a little different from our normal format for two reasons. Firstly, it's actually a longer episode than normal. But secondly, and more importantly, I wanted to honour my guests, their daughter, their grandchildren, and the importance of this conversation. Today, I'm joined by Sue and Lloyd Clark. Their daughter, Hannah, as well as Hannah's three children, Alea, Liana and Trey were murdered by Hannah's estranged husband in February 2020 in a case that shocked the nation. Now, Hannah had also been a victim of coercive control for many years. Coercive control is this phrase that we've all heard of. It has been all over the media in the last few years, primarily due to what happened to Hannah. But I think it's safe to say that many of us don't really know what it means or how to recognise it. And I will put my hands up and say six months ago, I would have definitely fallen into that group too. Sue and Lloyd have become passionate and vocal advocates for the criminalization of coercive control. So today we discuss what is it? What is coercive control? What are some examples of it? What does it look like? What was Hannah's experience of coercive control? And their take on what to do if you or a loved one are experiencing it. Plus, we talk about the status of the legislation around the country and they share details of the foundation that they have set up in the honour of Hannah and the kids. I found this a profoundly moving conversation. It is heavy, but there are a few laughs along the way and the strength of this remarkable couple and their daughter shine through. Sue and Lloyd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Jen. Oh, thank you for being here. This is such, I don't need to tell you how important this conversation is to have. Um, And we've just been talking about how uncomfortable these conversations are, but how important they are. So thank you for doing this. Um, The reason I wanted to talk to you two in particular was around, obviously, coercive control, because it's this phrase that we've we've all heard now. It's been all over the media. Um, And I think most people still don't really know what it means. Um, And I think, look, I'd put my hand up and be honest and say six months ago I couldn't have defined it either. So I think um, it's really important that we explore it. And with what's happened with our federal government getting involved in the last three days, um, this is perfectly timed. So let me start by asking you this. If we take a step back, of all the ways that you could have honoured Hannah's memory and legacy, Why coercive control? Why was this aspect of domestic and family violence so important to you? Well, because we didn't realise it had a name. We knew, we saw the consequences of it and what it did and we didn't know there was an actual name for it until after the children and Hannah had been murdered. So we thought if we were ignorant and didn't know, how many other people don't don't know that it actually I had started to learn that it was domestic violence through a friend of mine whose son's a police officer. But um, Hannah kept telling me it wasn't domestic violence because he's never hit me, Mum. And he even said to us when we'd brought it up that he's never hit her. So we found that very interesting. And also I 
thought it wasn't physically abusive. I didn't realise, even shows my naivety, um, that he had shoved her and pushed her, which is still a form mm. of physical abuse. But, again, in my head, physical abuse was a, a punch or a, you know, yeah. and that was Hannah's as well. And then we realised all the damage that coercive control did and we just thought people need to understand this. We didn't, and no. surely we're not the only people. Yeah, I mean, we're blue-collar people, middle-class people, yeah. and thought, well, we don't know nothing about it. You know, um, okay, I knew we knew it was mental abuse, mm. but we didn't know, did not know how dangerous it was. So once we started talking to a lot of uh, professionals in the DV sector and high-ranking police officers and that who have been, you know, involved in DV, they kept saying this thing, saying, oh. Oh, textbook. It's just he was so textbook. So it's like they write a book. They do the same thing. So even though it's complicated to um, work out whether it is or not, I think once we get a, a tick flick sort of system worked out, mm. they'll be able to say it is quite the same. They seem to do the same thing. And the worst part about it is 80% of coercive control abusers once they start spiralling out of control, the woman leaves or whatever, there is uh, an 80% chance they will murder. So we did a um, uh, Amanda Gearing uh, got the Scottish model, uh, what they use over there. So this class is a gold standard. But she put her own spin on bit it. Bit of a spin on it. Mm -hmm. And um, we did, uh, she did a tick and flick and we answered it as, as if we were Hannah. And out of it, what was it? She was, he was 900%. Most likely to kill her. I know. <laughs> oh, crazy. Wow. That gave me goosebumps. Um, uh -huh. Us too. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. I think that was one of the things that most surprised me about it when I was when I was started looking into it was it's like this thing that none of us had heard of, at least outside policing circles, yet the risk of homicide, intimate partner homicide, is just hmm. off the charts and yet none of us knew this was even a thing. No, That's it, right. had we known, we would have been a lot more vigilant. Yeah. We made sure the front door was always locked and Aaliyah, our oldest grandchild, was the only one that could lock or unlock it. Mm -hmm. And I used to make her follow me out and lock it when I'd leave for work because Hannah would be getting ready for work and things. But we still weren't as vigilant as we would have been We've been aware how dangerous the situation was. Yeah. And it seems like a common thing that once they lose that power, they do spiral and they spiral quickly mm. and very badly. And that's what happened with him. When we mm. sort of look back now at, at all the steps and you, and you put the timeline to it, he was losing that control. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to, there was no... No, you can't have the kids. We were happy for him to have the kids, you know, but it had to be on his terms and we'd have to drop them back and always be late. Um, there was always a worry. I mean, even when he did have them, we were always concerned that he was going to take off or didn't know whether they'd come back because mm. he'd already done that um, early in the Christmas. Yeah. He'd um, held the kids basically hostage, you know, for four hours, um, knowing that we were taking them up to see my elderly mother the next day. Mm. Supposed to drop him back at four thirty. We didn't get him till eight thirty, and then that was a lot of phoning and ringing. He wouldn't answer, so we, we were just going ballistic. And then, of course, um, just after that, about another what ten, twelve days on Boxing Day. Not even that long. Yeah, he um, he grabbed Layana, the middle child, and ended up taking her into Northern New South Wales. Mm. So he had to have this power of control, and then that's when we said, "Well, okay, you can't." We got onto a solicitor. Uh, family courts. So this Nobody a, could tell him what he could do with his children mm. or couldn't do with his children. So then we said, okay, yeah. Um, she said, well, no, he can't have visiting rights now. We'll put this and through the courts. And we have mediation. And <laughs> that's right, yeah. And then we did mediation and all was agreed upon and the first time he had them in mediation, after mediation, he brought the kids home and he assaulted Hannah and breached Breached the AVO. So then social media got a big hit from him saying, oh, how we we're keeping the kids from him. Well, no, it wasn't. We were happy for him to have we were, And Sue even said, look, I'll help you mind the kids. I'll help you out. 
yeah, when you've got the kids, because obviously he's still going to work, mm, yeah. he had this in his head that he had to have them 100%. Right. No support, right? no help. At least with Hannah staying with us. I mean, Hannah always wanted to move out. She was looking at places already, and we go, no, no, too early, darling. You know, he'll come around. You know, mm. at least you're a bit safer here, hopefully. You know, so we thought, we thought, yeah. Mm. So, um, going back to what you said, Sue, too, I think it's that point about Hannah didn't see herself as a victim of DB. Not at all. Um, that's how, so. How did she explain or justify or yeah explain his actions, if not for DB? That he was a controlling a-hole. She would ring me and um, vent about um, being forced to have sex every night and if she didn't look like she was enjoying it, if she just laid there, he wouldn't speak to her for days and um, he would threaten suicide, Mm -hmm. all sorts of things like this. And she'd ring me upset and angry that he'd had a go at her about the house being untidy and she would tidy it before he was due home, but he would come home earlier to catch her out oh. and things like this. And she would just get really angry and it just got to the stage she couldn't take any more. Mm. But it wasn't until she actually left him, I convinced her to go up to the police station. Uh, I wanted a DVO taken out. She wouldn't. She was scared of repercussions. But um, she did agree to go up and just speak to the police And luckily she got a lovely police officer and she listened to everything Hannah had said and she'd said to Hannah, oh, this is a form of domestic violence. Mm. And Hannah came home and she's saying to me, Mum, like she just felt validated Mm. and she understood it was domestic violence. And also um, when Hannah said about the forced sex every night, Hannah didn't realise that was rape Mm. until um, this lovely policewoman pointed out that, yeah. oh, honey, that's rape. You know, it's so she came home quite validated and from that point she understood mm. she had been a victim. But and you mentioned. Sorry, it wasn't until it was actually pointed out in her face. that mm. No, I can, I can see how that would happen to someone. Like when you're in it yourself, you don't see things or situations with the clarity and objectivity that outsiders yeah, exactly. don't. Exactly. Especially yes. when, there's, when there's no uh, uh, physical abuse. Mm. There's no marks. And because it's such a um, gradual behaviour, mm. it, it, it slowly creeps up until it's so controlling. But by that stage you're just brainwashed and you're stuck in that situation. It's like that old, um, you know, the, the uh, frog in the boiling water. Yeah. Um, Analogy, yes. yeah. You yes. don't realise it till it's too late. Uh-huh. Um, so actually on that point about not, not realising she was a victim of DV, you said to me before we started recording, Sue, that you didn't realise that you had also, the whole family yes. essentially mm. had been victims of his abuse and controlling nature as well. That's right. I didn't think of that at all until it was actually pointed out to me from some lovely ladies that were survivors and um, when I thought about it, it was quite true. He controlled me. Uh, if I ever said anything to him, Hannah would bring me in tears. I would have to apologise. I soon learnt that I just had to stay quiet. And also if um, Hannah didn't do something he was, and he was annoyed at her, he would withhold the children from me. I had them every Friday. Ah, okay. And it would be, no, your mother can't have them today. I'm doing this with them. And so I had to behave if I was to be allowed to see my grandchildren or Hannah. Mm. Though Hannah would find ways to see me all the <laughs> but yeah. she was very good at that. But <laughs> yeah, he would withhold the children from us. Oh, wow. You don't really think about the ripple effect of this, do no. you? Not just on the, the victim but their families, obviously the children, but, you know, extended families, grandparents. That's right. That's right, yeah. Mm. And I think that's why the outsiders, you know, close family, need to have a close look. If mm. you think a relationship is a bit odd, you know, it should be equal share. It should be you know, equal rights. So, um, and if you see something going on, I think you need to really step in and, um, and you know, say, hey, you know, that's not cool. Let's, let's go talk about it, you know, mm. go have a coffee, 
maybe let's go see someone professional, you know. Let's go see the local GP and then GP can then go on from there. Um, there is a lot of different ways of doing it, but we need to actually sort of step in and say, yeah, that's not right. And instead of just sort of turning our backs and say, oh, it's not our problem, it's not my backyard, you know. Um, and a lot of these abusers, I'm sure, they must have family that, that see it. And unless they come from the same mm. same way, um, yeah, there's got to be some people out there who see it and go, well, that's not right. Let's, let's just step in and say, hey, yeah, I was going to actually I'll come back to that question in a minute when we talk about Hannah's experience. But let's just take a step back. Can you obviously there's no national legislation, so definitions vary across mm. the states and there's some, you know, states that don't criminalize this at all. But what is coercive control? Like, can you broadly explain what it is or define? how would you define it? It's um, a pattern of behaviour. And it's also when one partner in a relationship has all the control. It's not an equal share of control. One partner will control finances, who you talk to, what you do, what you wear. Where you go. Where you go. Um, And quite often if you achieve something, your partner's not helping you or proud of you. They're actually upset or annoyed that you've achieved. They're not supportive. It's quite interesting. It starts off gradual where you can explain away a lot of things. Where Hannah, um, in the early days, he uh, got her to shut down her Facebook page. Oh, we'll have a a joint Facebook page because we'll have the same friends, we'll do the same posts. And she was like, oh, okay. But see, that was a way. It seemed like an okay thing at first. Kind of seems a little romantic or a little like, oh, you know, they're family, they're forming their family together. That's That's right. right. But they control. He will control it and make it all look like happy families. But he controlled also who she could befriend on Facebook or who could be friend on Facebook. And that's where the wedges start coming in, Mm. start getting you away from your support, your support people. Mm. You're left by yourself. So they just gradually chip away. And meantime, your is going on. Well, I can't survive without him. I've got no one anymore. That's because they tell you that. And they into your mind at, at that sort of thing. It's, it's a lot of mind games. And that's why uh, we sort of, and that's why it's so dangerous, I suppose. And little things like um, ringing constantly. Yes. And I'd say, oh, your father doesn't ring me every day. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> things like that. You know? Yeah. I'll see you when you get home tonight. Which they think, you know, it seems romantic. He loves you. He can't be without talking to you. But they're actually checking in. Yes, and they'll turn up at work. Oh, I thought I'd bring you lunch, you know, which again seems, you know, once in a blue moon, but. (laughs) Yes, yeah, and a lot of things like this they will do because that way they're checking you're at work and checking who your co-workers are. But, again, another, a gradual thing, things like this you're thinking, oh, it's because he loves me. Yeah. He can't be away from me. It's not he's checking where you are and what you're doing, who you're speaking to. So it's quite insidious actually. Yeah, and I can see the difficult, like if you're, if you're in it, I can see how difficult it would be ah. to to see it that way yes. because it starts so sort of slowly and smallly and builds That's over right. time. Because mm. in the end he ended up trying, he actually drove a wedge between uh, Hannah's brother, Nathaniel, so, yeah, and it was the same thing because Nat would they used to speak all the time. They were always very close, grew up close, did the same things, um, same sort of sport, gymnastic, trampolining. So there was a very good connection there. But um, towards the end of it, um, yeah, he had driven this wedge and there was hatred between each other mm. because, you know, he had poisoned had his mind a bit as well. You know, oh, your brother's this, your brother's that. You know, oh, they're this, you know, him and his new partner. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really terrible to see, but it all got patched up. And it was it was a nice, strong comeback again. We had a family together mm. and then, yeah, we lost it. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you too, and you may have, Sue may have touched on this already, but like looking back in the earlier stages of their relationship, I guess what did you see and I think the question is going to back to this point about how, because it's so insidious. When did you first get the sense that things weren't quite right? Probably after Liana was born was when I started to 
Yeah, he would do things like um, he'd be laughing at something and he'd bring his arm up and slap it onto her thigh, almost like, I don't know, but you know at school used to do like a horse bite? Yeah, yeah. That sort of a thing on her leg, really hard. And I would like cringe and I'd look at her to see her reaction and I could see her wince and then she'd just look at me and smile and I'd think, oh, okay, but to me, I wouldn't have been happy if Lloyd had done that to me, mm. you know. <laughs> but little things like that I started to be concerned. And then when she was heavily pregnant with Layana, her second child, um, he was annoyed at her and slammed the gate into her leg and she had a massive bruise on her thigh from that. So then I was starting to say to her that, you know, she can always come home. Mm. But her answer was, I made my bed, I have to lie in it, mm. which, of course, she didn't, but that was her frame of mind at the time. Yeah. it's. Um, I think, too, when I was prepping to speak to you, I, the thought that came to mind, too, was that Hannah's experience is obviously at the extreme end of a spectrum, mm. and it is a spectrum, and I think it would be a mistake for people to think that it has to be that extreme for it to tick the coercive control box. Like it's only coercive control if it's that extreme. Have you heard any other examples? Like I know you've had hundreds of conversations, heard hundreds of stories over the last couple of years. Are there any other examples of behaviour that you've heard that would constitute coercive control? Uh, belittling, name-calling, putting your partner down in front of other people. Um when they control what you wear, of course, Hannah was never allowed to wear shorts anymore. Especially she, finances too. They've got yeah. total control of finances as well. And this is where no postcode is um, people think, oh, it comes from lower-end postcode. But high-end, we find that, um, you know, one of the affluent uh, suburbs here, there's a lot going on there, but it's all kept pretty quiet. And because they can't, they've got no money, they've got nowhere to go. Even though it looks like some of these women are having a wonderful lifestyle, they have the fancy car, the clothes and mm. everything, they're all bought for them. They don't actually own mm. any of it. Nothing's in their name if they were to leave. Yeah. We're actually, I'm actually doing an episode on financial abuse mm. uh, okay. later on because it is so prevalent, but we don't we don't see it. Again, it doesn't it doesn't leave bruises. Yeah. From the outside, it looks like you're having a grand life, but that's exactly right. Mm. Yeah. You don't know. That was the only thing that he didn't do was control the finances. Mm. He wasn't but bright enough. He, he couldn't did, remember his own then, pin number. Yeah, but then he controlled the, was, the, the social media side of it. So it looked like they were happy families. Yeah. Always put up, you know, old photos or photos of them having good times at the beach and that. And you think, oh, well, they had a lovely weekend. But they actually weren't at the beach no. or they, they weren't, you know. He was very good at that. And like Sue said, could not remember his own pin number. No, he wasn't good at finances. Though Hannah had to keep two bank accounts because he would drain a bank account because he would make out, he would like to shout everybody and be the big man. So she would have to keep money aside when she knew there was bills and things and keep it in another account so that he could not do that. So that's the only only um, point of coercive control that he falls short on. Everything right. else he, would <laughs> he ticked all the other boxes. Uh-huh. <laughs> So let's talk about um, the legislation such that it is. So what is the situation around the country when it comes to criminalising coercive control at the moment? Because this really surprised me. Queensland seems to be leading the way right now. Yep. Well, it's in um, Tasmania has some laws down there. Uh, I think they can stiffen it up a bit. So with Queensland, as far as we know, is... Um, the laws will should get passed later next year. So in the interim, what the government's decided to do, um, is they've realised after a couple of inquests too, uh, up here where they've been coercive people and that, with the um, Doreen Langdon plus Hannah's. Kelly Wilkinson. <sighs> Kelly Wilkinson too. Well, they haven't had an inquest there yet, but still there was problems there. That some of the old EV laws need adjusting. And then also... The education has got to start. So that's what they're doing now. They're doing the education, making the um, police, the QPS, Queensland Police, they're getting educated. Uh, and I think 
our um, police commissioner, Katarina Carroll, she started that middle of last year. Yeah. Started some implementing, you know, more DV, more uh, education on coercive control. But we still need to have the finalisation of uh, Queensland, um, the government, to say that what they really want. Uh, and also, yeah, getting the judges and all the um, general frontliners knowing about it. Mm. So with the laws, and I think with uh, the they want to implement more um, co-responders with the police, so you'll actually have a DV worker there. They're trialling a couple at the moment, uh, up in one in Cairns and one in Brisbane and Logan, where they'll actually have co-responders uh, there working with the police so they can say, help them navigate their way through the discussions and Try and get, and we've actually had um, a little bit of input. Well, not input. We helped out one place here in uh, Logan where they had been running that for a while, and they ran out of funding. So we said, okay, we'll give them a grant to keep it going. And heard some lovely stories where <clears throat> there's one woman. She wouldn't talk to the police. Obviously, she'd had a bad experience with the police prior. Um, this guy was still attacking her and and everything. So um, the co-responder went and had a cup of coffee with her and then managed to talk her to come into the police station because she wouldn't go to the police station. So with this co-responder, it just sort of broke the ice, got her in, and then, yeah, she's in a happier space now. So these sort of things is what we need to do, and I think um, with the education as well and then information sharing. So I think that's another thing they're looking at doing too is all the frontliners, a bit of information sharing. Mm. So with the uh, federal government, I believe, they will set some guidelines for the rest of the states and territories to follow. And the thing is, though, we, especially in Queensland, we don't want them to rush the law. We want them to get it right. Mm. We don't want any loopholes. Yeah. You know, it's not to be right. I was going to ask you this about whether the national response that they're proposing, the if that, A, whether we need a defin- national definition, B, uh, I used to be a lawyer, so I kind of was reading all this with my lawyer brain <laughs> on. Uh, forgive me. Um, and B, whether the need for a national response and a national definition, if it slows this process down of criminalising it, is that a problem? Like do you see that as a problem of the process or is is it more important that we get it right? No, it's more important we get it right, Yeah, I think. I think we've got to get it right and as long as the national definition is the right way. You know, um, I think Scotland it took four years, and that was after watching um, England how they went and seeing where there was some flaws there, and Mm. it still took them four years. I know it seems like forever, and in a perfect world we'd like it overnight, Mm. but we want it right. Yeah, we want it so that if we go to charge a perpetrator, we can get them. Mm. There's not a loophole, and they can walk away. You know. I mean, and you want it right too. You don't want innocent people getting, you know, just from having a... Exactly right. An argument, one argument, you know, and then all of a sudden they're getting classed as being coercive control. Mm. We don't Mm. want that sort of happening, you know. Um, And hopefully, um, I think another one of the other things they're they're looking at too is perpetrator um, training too. Like sort of once they get a DVL out on them, they have to actually go and do some counselling as well straight away. And then that's a big thing because some of these perpetrators, they can change. We've heard of a couple of stories where, you know, um, after reading Hannah's story and reading what he had done, they've turned around and gone, oh, wow, that's me. I, I, I share the Facebook page with you and I think we better change. Yes. You know, I'll, I'll wow. need to go and see someone. That's amazing. It is. Mm. Sorry, we've got a puppy, new puppy next door. You, you hear, hear the howling going on? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He, he doesn't like it when mum goes to work. <laughs> oh, no, poor thing. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Tassie too because I, I did think about, I, I read that Tassie, um, to, to use my own words, believes that their laws adequately cover uh, coercive control at the moment. The lawyer in me kind of went, well, I'd love to see the stats around that to see, you know, how yes. many. Yeah. We don't know a lot about it um, because, yeah, we've sort of been looking at our own backyard mm. first um, and like sort of. I'm no scholar either, but, you know, uh, from all reports, they have some laws there, but I've, I've heard that they could be stiffened up a bit. Yeah. 
it's it's interesting to me that coercive control it's not interesting it's really important but that the federal government and it's probably a reflection of the change in our recent federal government has really got behind the push and recognizes the need that they need to drive this federally if we're going to have um a consensus and a common situation because we would hate to be in situations where one you know perpetrator is convicted in one state but could walk away from a loophole as you say or move to another state. Oh, so, yeah, move. Talking to um, the police union up here uh, and plus through our inquest, Ian Levers, he is all for information sharing, all states and territory police sharing information. Mm. And that's just got, has to happen. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, and also, like, uh, with, like I said, this federal government, I knew nothing about it and I was, I was very interested in the campaign when um, the elections were on. No one mentioned anything about DV. Oh, they're going to do this, going to do that. And there was never any mention of it. Yeah, here we go again. Not much is going to happen. You know, each state will be left up to themselves to battle along with it. Um, And then, yeah, next, last week. Yeah. Suddenly, yeah, they're having, uh, you know, Attorney General meeting they haven't had for a couple of years. And one of the points on it Mm. was about coercive control. Mm. Yeah, um, it's something that we were looking at probably in another. 12 months or so, we're hoping to get the Queensland laws in and, you know, um, not that we do much, we just keep the voice going. Mm. And then we thought, well, we've got to maybe start looking at moving, moving south or getting mm. south. Um, we know that New South Wales is starting there. They've got laws they're starting to work on. And we thought, okay, if we can get a, a, a stronghold maybe in Victoria and mm. Victoria come on board, then who knows, mm. you know, they all should start following suit. But and, now the uh, federal the government's jumped ahead. Sharing needs to be between courts as well. Yes. Because at the moment um, a perpetrator can have multiple DVOs mm. out on him and when it goes to criminal court you can't bring it up. We know of a case who was taken to court for choking a, a girl and there was six other women in the court watching the proceedings who had DVOs out on him and the judge said, this is really out of character for you, isn't it? And gave him a good behaviour bond because one is civil, you've been a uh, um, solicitor would understand, one is civil and one is criminal. So you can't bring that up. I think that's wrong. I think the judge's decision would be di- quite different had he known this fellow is a serial offender. Absolutely. And especially when you think about coercive control, it's a repeated pattern. And so yeah, if there's multiple right. victims, then there's pat like... There's no yes. doubt about the pattern box. That's yeah. right. That's right. But you can't bring that into criminal court, which that frustrates me. Yeah. I think that should be allowed to be cross courts as well. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too, Lloyd, you mentioned um, not, you know, not wanting loophole, not wanting the law to be such that one person, you know, has an argument with a spouse and, you know, is suddenly convicted of coercive control. Because I think that's what probably makes people a lot people nervous or potentially uncomfortable or even just uncertain about coercive control because it is a spectrum of behaviour. It's not a punch that leaves bruises. It's this, you know, it's one thing to want to know where your spouse is because you love them and care for them and that you're worried that they're, you know, they're okay. Wanting to control, you know, have complete control over them. Well, that's what we're saying before. It's a repeat behaviour. So it's not just over five months, six months, we're, we're talking a couple of years that where this and then it gradually getting worse and stronger. So it's it's a, an uneven power, I suppose, is the best way of putting it, an uneven stronghold over a person who, you know, gets um, abused for not answering the phone or mm. not sending back a text or, you know, and if you get text, repeated text, you know, five or six texts in an hour, where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? That's not normal, is it? To me, it's yeah. not. Okay, you might love the person, but you know, you send off a text saying, "Hey, where are you?" and you're worried about them. Yeah. But you know, um, unless you think they are in a dangerous situation, but if they're just out having a drink or you know, catching up with a friend, yeah. But I always advise um, women or, or victims, anybody, to keep a diary. Mm-hmm. I know it's dangerous. You'll have to have a safe place to hide it. Mm-hmm. But if you can keep a diary with dates and times of when they've called you, what they've said, what they've done, 
It will help later on to help prove the coercive control. Mm. And also if there's um, text messages or anything like this, Hannah used to send them off to me to keep on my phone mm -hmm. so that she could delete or if he went through her phone there was nothing there but it was kept safely as evidence. Mm. Yeah. So I advise um, victims to try and do that so that when you do go to the police you actually do have hard evidence. Mm. You're not trying to recall stuff and sound, you know, so you don't recall properly. If you've got it there written down and you yeah. can show them, it makes a big difference. Yeah, that would be. It's it's funny you say that because that was the one question I had in my mind is like how do you how do you prove much of this? How do you how do you prosecute someone for this? Because and, these coercive people, they'll go through your phone and then if they see any bad messages that they sent, they'll delete them all. That's right. And that's what he used to do. He would, um, while Hannah was putting, say, tray to bed, he would go through a bag and get the phone out and start, you know. Deleting things. Through it, have a look. Because the yeah. kids would tell her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the older ones. Um, <laughs> but the thing that got us too was um, he actually didn't have a tracker on her. We thought he was tracking her or had her phone bug because there were certain conversations that he should not have known. Mm -hmm. And a couple of times Sue went over there, was over at their house, and he was like, come on, well, go talk out in the yard because somehow I think he's hearing this. And it wasn't until after he did what he did and the police went through the house, there was like six or eight phones they found, iPhone, oh. placed throughout the house. So he would, um, when Hannah wasn't home, have these on. And he and had that, one in the car too, but he must have got that out before she left. Okay, Because yeah. he'd heard a conversation in the car that there's that no He way. wouldn't have, yeah, heard yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Because Hannah did actually get the car checked out. Yes. We mm. had the, um, oh, I forget what unit it was, they, they actually came mm. around and, and checked out. So, well, we suggest you get a, another phone and only use that phone uh, for talking to him. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's a good idea. One of our guests on the podcast last year talked about her husband, her ex, um, did have a tracking app, in, yes. had it in on her phone. She didn't realise and when she found uh -huh. it, you know, he was like, oh, how did that get there? It, you know, it must have been a bug or you've clicked something. It's yeah. Yeah. Well, so easy, man. Well, well you have clicked something. They can send it through via an email. And an attachment. And all you do is hit that attachment and then they're on. Mm. Yeah. So there'll be people listening to this who may have recognised some signs in their own relationship or in relationships in their family. You mentioned the diary, Sue, but what other advice would you have for those people? Safe plan to get out. A, yes, a safety plan to get away. Mm. And don't rush it. And have patience with your loved one if they're in that situation. I know it's frustrating and you think, why don't they just leave? It's not easy. And they say statistically women can go back up to seven times before they leave permanently. Wow. It's so difficult. So I advise plant the seed mm -hmm. that it's a bad relationship, that you're there, listen to them, let them feel validated that they're not going crazy because you've got to remember they've been gaslighted mm. like, into thinking they are crazy but they have a problem. We were told by him that Hannah had mental problems mm. And we only believed Hannah because she was our daughter. Of course we would. <laughs> we <laughs> kind of know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yes, plant that seed. Let them know they've validated you. Hear them. Mm -hmm. You love them. And just make a plan that you can get them away safely when they're ready. They have to be ready or they will go back again because it's just so, so difficult. And they've been conditioned they won't survive without them. And they're bad mothers, it's not good for the children. Mm. Who else would have you? You're lucky you have me. You know, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, well, Hannah nearly did. Like, she'd only just left. She was down at um, her brother's place. And um, basically he made one phone call and said, oh, the kids need to, need to have their father. And you have sudden, to bring them home now. Yeah, Hannah started packing up clothes and that, and Nat's come out and said, what are you doing? No, well, oh, I've got to go home. He said, I, I, they need the father. And I said, no, and a couple of other adjective words, <laughs> F off, you know, you're not going anywhere. So it's really like an alcoholic. That's how I looked at it. And I think you need to make sure you talk to someone. You don't make that decision straight away. I used to say to her, if you're feeling that way, call me or her best friend because we would, it was like talking her down. Yeah. And, 
And I could hear her on the phone to him sometimes getting quite upset and and I'd stick my head in and say, just hang up. Don't let him get to you. Mm. But even having the power to hang up, it took her quite a few weeks after she'd left to be strong enough to just hang up on him. It was really difficult as a mother to watch that he had that power. It it was very enlightening, I (laughs) suppose. And she just got stronger because she was yes. away from him. She got back to her old self. Mm. She got her personality back, her strength. I mean, not that she really lost her personality, but because she mastered it so well. Yeah. She could turn up the gym that morning. You know, she had an absolutely shocking night. He's been a complete a-hole. And she'd had that smile on her face, welcome the, the women in mm. and chat to them, listen to their problems, and no one knew about it. No. Mm. You know, but then when she got home, you could see her, she – Finally got that started getting her strength back. Yes, a strong did. woman and said, No, bugger him. He's not getting the kids now. I don't care, you know. Yeah. Uh, and sort of got to that. And point. that's when she eventually did the post because he had um crucified her on social media. Mm. So much so that even people she thought were her friends played oh. her up and abused her and oh. Well, he did a big ring around. Because he had all her contacts too. So he did the big ring around saying, Oh, Hannah's taken the kids away and I'm she's having I can't an affair and she's taken my children. Which is a lot of them, that is what they tell people, that mm. um, the victims had an affair because that's safe space there. Oh, yeah. The, mm. You know, the victim. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, she was ripped to shreds by people. And it wasn't until she'd been gone, oh, month, six weeks, she did a post just saying that I'm a strong woman and mm. I won't be pushed around. And that's when he wasn't so happy. But it was amazing. And even till today... There are some of his believers, followers, that still believe Hannah asked for this because she took his children, which just shocked us, shocked the coroner. Even she's, yeah. Mm. I saw that. It's it, And it goes to show the, there's two things that were coming to mind then. One is it goes to show how effective he is oh, yes. at coercive control and manipulation when it's not just his partner, his ex, huh. Hannah, that was a victim, but, it, you know, the, he's managed to gaslight yes. friends and family as well into believing yep. Yep. it was Hannah's fault. Um, and the second thing is it goes to show how powerful coercive control can be when someone right. as strong as Hannah, physically, mentally, emotionally, yes. with an incredible family base, like can be, I'm not even sure what the word is, undermined. It's, and I think a lot of them like that. It's a bit of a challenge. Ah. You know, how they can break them down. Yep. And break take the strongest. That's right. It seems to be a, a thing. Um, let me ask you about small steps for Hannah. Can you tell us what what work you're doing and how our listeners can support you? Okay. Um, so initially, we because we felt we didn't know much about coercive control, we wanted to do education. So we had some discussions and we said, okay, um, I opened up my mouth on bloody an interview with <laughs> <laughs> on Channel 9 with Tracy Grimshaw saying, oh, we're going to have a, a foundation. It sounded like a good idea at the time. But then we didn't realise how much hard work it was. <laughs> what our listeners can't see is the is the face who is currently <laughs> pulling it. But it was, um, yeah, something we thought we needed to do. And then when we started looking into it, and um, everyone was doing education. There was a lot of, well, not everyone, but there was a lot of people out there doing that. Uh, and we thought, well, okay, no use reinventing the wheel. Um, maybe we can raise money and and then we'll just give grants out. So that's what we end up doing is saying, yes, okay. Uh, and then we were lucky enough, we've had some very good supporters who helped us get the foundation up and running. Um, you know, uh, lawyers who came in, did pro bono work, uh, media people helping out pro bono. Uh, got some wonderful board members. And everything just started falling into place. And then um, a woman, Carrie, came on board. She is our events manager. And she's just so wonderful. So we do three major events a year. So out of that, in the last 18 months, I suppose, since we've really sort of actually has become, finally got our DGR status and became a uh, foundation, 
we've given away over $160,000 in grants to different organisations. So we look at the tier three. So when we sort of started uh, meeting all these foundations and charities, you've got your tier one, tier two, tier three, obviously. Tier ones get all the bloody grants because they've got the grant writers and that. Um, they're doing wonderful work. Don't get me wrong, but there's people missing out. We thought, well, let's help the small guy, you know, let's help the Australian battlers, and which has been wonderful, you know, and it's great when you go out there and give the big novelty <laughs> check and say, here's your money, yeah, they've got it in the bank already. But, yeah, it's so grat- gratifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, we've done work with um, Lady Musgrave. So they've just now, uh, we got them uh, some money so they can get a website up and running. So they're one of the oldest foundations uh, going, and they actually have a handy book, but now it's gone website where women can just get on and find places where to it's go. It's a one-stop where you can get housing, where you can get finance, where you can get help. Oh, wow. So it's a or, great website. Hmm. So with that, that's um, is absolutely fantastic. And, of course, we didn't know either at that stage, and that's one of the reasons why we took it on and said, yes, we'll give you money because we didn't know what to do with Hannah. Well, she had trouble finding yeah. where to get the right help. Yeah. So things like that, um, the blue light people up here in Queensland, they do education. So they're one of the, mm-hmm. another one of the first ones we gave, uh, gave some money to who go out and see the school kids and talk about respectful relationships. A, uh, one day a week for five weeks. Of course. That's all about respectful relationships and domestic violence. So yep. that's a great great one that's one of my my big causes yeah and we've done a couple of little talks with them yeah. you know, as um, being real life people who uh experience you know the dv and it's good talking to the kids too because you know they um they get into it yeah and you know sort of and it, it's lovely um beyond dv D- yeah beyond dv so we're helping them as well and plus we're doing the work with them with the yes. uh nine townhouse units so we do a, a couple of collaborations with yeah yeah carolyn and i do a couple of um, talks, um, mother-daughter talks, and we're oh. talking Westfield retails. Um, it was supposed to be this week, but it got cancelled, but we have got one coming up in November as well, talking to all the retailers, mm. and that about coercive control. Brilliant. Uh, coming from mothers, because yep. both our daughters had been in coercive control yeah. relationships, so that's always a good one. Yep, and uh, DV safe phones, so that's a good one too, because we were talking earlier about the phones getting tapped and that, so what um, DV Safe Phones do, they ask for people who've got old phones, mm-hmm. uh, still working, usually um, iPhones, and then they'll fix them up, go through, repair them, then put in a, uh, a SIM, 12-month SIM for, for women, and then send them off all over Australia. Mm. So oh, wow. So people who need a phone or, yep. like, the partner might grab the phone and smash it up, oh, yeah, and they've got nothing. So um, and. What we gave them money to for uh, was they were starting a uh, mapping system where you can get phones, where you just mm. get on Google it, you know basically, and they called it the Holt mapping system. So after Hannah, Aaliyah, Leanna and Trey, yeah. which is wonderful. So, yeah, we in collaboration with them as well. So what we're doing is we're just forming all these collaborations, I suppose, mm. and it, it's wonderful to be recognised and help them out. Uh, and then I think the last one was uh, Centre for Women and Co. Yes. You know, that was just a, a six-month to keep their social worker on there to work with the QPS. So now they've actually got Queensland uh, government funding mm. to keep that up and running. Beautiful. Um, and, yeah, they said, and then we'll, we're doing the housing as well, the, mm-hmm. the townhouses. So, yeah, we, we keep busy. We can, There's a lot there to do. <laughs> and uh, and we keep raising money and, um, like I said, and then, so we've got money in the bank there to, to mm-hmm. do this. Uh, and we've got our last event coming up on the 4th of November, which is International Men's Day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was a bit dubious with that one last year. I'm going, International Men's Day? They have International Women's Day. I understand that. Um, but then, like the girls said, it's about celebrating the good blokes. Yes. So we have a few taught speakers who will come along. And this year I think we're going to look at uh, mental health mm-hmm. issues because that's a big thing at the moment. Um, and Which is a part of domestic violence. And it is, yeah. You know, it it yeah. all fits together. So yeah. our 4th of December, and we're looking like, I think it nearly 100% is going to be Gambaros in Brisbane. We'll wait and see, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll wait and see. But uh, anyone, if you, need, if you want to check us, 
out uh, anymore, get onto a website. Yes. Mm-hmm. Find out all the merchandise on there or, uh, or our like events. Donations. Yeah, yeah, donations and that. So www.smallstepsforhannah.com.au. Beautiful. I will link to that in the show notes. And I was on there uh, the other day and I noticed coffee beans. Um, and oh, yes. you've probably seen me drinking my coffee as we talk yes. today. So I'm going to go and order my bag. Well, that was Hannah's very favourite brew. Oh, was it? It yeah. was. Um, she got to know the boys that own Bellissimo Coffee and we used to always drink there. It was one of our favourite coffees. So um, we went down there and I was telling the boys that their original blend was her very favourite. So they've done the blend and it's called the Hulk. You can only buy it online, mm-hmm. but 75% of the proceeds come to Small Steps. Oh, well, aren't they wonderful? And it was Hannah's favourite blend. Yeah, I love it too. Nice I, I drink it at home too. <laughs> I only just ordered my bag last night. I, I did another one. I'm like, oh, I'm getting low. Oh, getting low. You can't. You can't run out. Well, I'm going to go and order my uh, mine today. So, yes. um, yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, I'll report back. Yes. Um, yeah. So I've got to let you go. But I guess one final question I had in mind is: There's been so much said about him and what happened yes. to Hannah and the kids. What what do you want the world to know about Hannah? What do you want her to be remembered for and by? She had a smile that lit up the room. Yeah, her strength. Her strength in the end, she was strong. Her love for her children. He oh. underestimated what a mother would do. Exactly. That's what foiled him. He didn't love the children like she did, so he had no idea what you would do when you loved your family. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, her, yeah. She, her wonderful smile. It, like I said, it just lit up the room. It did. She wasn't perfect. We're all perfect, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> she would say that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and just she made everyone feel special. Even though what she was going through was hell, nobody knew it because she had time for them to make them feel special. Yeah, and this is definitely her her legacy, coercive control, coming yeah. nationally, is it's Hannah. Well, she wanted to join the police force. She was looking at joining up after she'd left to help women like herself. Oh. So if this is a form of helping women on her behalf, ah, this is what we want. Yeah. I have no doubt she will save many lives as a result of her legacy, and I can see where she gets... All of those characteristics from in you two. You two are just beautiful. And it's been a real honour to meet you and talk to you today. Oh, thank you. And if there's anything we can do, I can do to support you, uh, even other than drink the coffee, (laughs) please let me know and I'd love to help. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jen. If you or someone close to you is experiencing family violence, please talk to someone. You can call 1-800-RESPECT in Australia if you would like to talk to a professional service or if there is an immediate threat to your safety in Australia, please call the police on triple zero. So that's it for this week's episode of the 2022 RAV podcast. Thank you for being here. Don't forget to register your team for the virtual challenge. And then we would love it if you would share this episode with one person or your entire team. I'm Jen Brown and I'll chat to you next week. Bye.